the, the Christian's executors. Who is it in your workplace or, or uni or school? Who would you put in the too hard basket? Well, God hasn't got a too hard basket. Pray for them. And if you get the chance, tell them about Jesus. And God might just surprise you. But to be sure, some will not respond to Jesus' offer of salvation positively. As Jesus tells us in this parable of the sower, or parable of the soils, probably more accurate. And it's all about, our second point, hearing the word. Hearing the word. But before we get to the parable itself, it begs the question, doesn't it? Why does Jesus teach in parables at all? I mean, why not just tell it straight? And the disciples are struggling with this particular um, parable that he tells. um, And they ask him for the cheat notes. Verse 9. The disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to others, I speak in parables so that though seeing, they may not see. Though hearing, they may not understand. Eh? Is Jesus saying he's using parables so that some people won't get it? So that they won't act on Jesus' word? What's going on here? Is Jesus being deliberately cryptic? Uh, Verse 10, the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given to the twelve. That word secrets, it's mysterion, the word from which we get the word mystery. And it's got the sense of a divine mystery, something about God that we didn't know. But like all good Scooby-Doo mysteries, this one's been solved. Because throughout the New Testament, especially in Paul's writing, this mystery becomes synonymous, so the same as, the gospel of Jesus. So Jesus is the secret now revealed as he announces the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe. And if we look forward a few verses to um, verses 16 to 18, the bit about the lamp on a stand, we see that, verse 17, there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed. And nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. So like a light being switched on and illuminating everything, Jesus' life, his teaching, his death and resurrection is the kingdom of God being broadcast loud and clear. And so Jesus encourages us and warns us in our listening to him. Verse 18. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they think they have, will be taken from them. God's secret plan is out in the open. So take care how you listen to it. You'd better listen to what Jesus has got to say. And those who respond in obedience are trusted with the with more truth to add to the secrets given in verse 10 uh, those who who don't will end up with nothing so it's like if if, uh, Jeff King goes out on his sailing boat okay, he wants to take his tailor out in the water but the forecast says terrible storm coming today don't go out in the water but tomorrow is the best sailing conditions of the year now if he hears if he's careful how he listens and obeys the warning, 
he gets to have more fun tomorrow than he would have had today, more than he expected. But if he's not careful to listen, he'll end up with no boat. He'll end up with less than he started with. So listen to Jesus. Jesus is what life, the universe, and everything is all about. Jesus is plan A. He's, he's God at his most glorious. And the parables are used by Jesus to broadcast this good news about him and what God's kingdom are like, loud and clear. But parables also push you off the fence. You either hear them in humility and follow Jesus, or you hear them with pride and harden your heart against him. Verse 10, though seeing, they may not see. Though hearing, they may not understand. So Jesus is doing a quote from Isaiah there. Um, so <clears throat> where the quote is, Isaiah's just met face to face the living God. And he received his commission as a prophet, what his job is, to go and give this message, a simple message to repent and believe. But it's a message that God guarantees will be met with a hard-heartedness that will bring judgment on his people in the form of exile and eviction from the promised land. So Isaiah's audience had complete responsibility for their own response. And yet God ordains that they be hard-hearted and so face judgment. And it's all part of God's just and fair plan to bring about the ultimate good. And so back to the parables, they, they separate the wheat from the chaff. They're like, they're like the Harry Potter sorting hat of Jesus preaching. They're grace and life to those who hear and believe, but they're judgment in the form of hardening of heart to those who reject Jesus. So Jesus isn't being cagey or vague to make sure that some people get condemned. No, he's being realistic about the response that his parables are going to bring to the situation there and then. That this generation are going to be judged in the form of hard-hearted unbelief that they will respond with. Yet there is hope. There is possibility. See, the punishment in Isaiah's message was, was ultimately to bring good, to sort of clear the decks and re-establish a faithful remnant, a faithful few, a new generation who would love God. And Jesus' parables are the same for us today. They tell us something about Jesus and God's kingdom, and we will either draw closer to Jesus or move away from him. Okay, so let's get to the parable, our third point. Responding to the word, hearing and responding to the word. Okay, so in this parable, the seed is the word. And we're the different types of soil or the, or the situation the seed lands in. And what, this, what happens in this parable is what happens to the word that God sows and the cons consequences for the person. And Jesus warns us to expect a mixed response, a mixed response to the gospel. Verse 12, those along the path are the ones who hear and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so they may not believe and be saved. So when we think about Satan, 
and the devil. Forget any horror movie ideas or weird occultic stuff. Satan's primary thing is, is a malicious force who's against anyone hearing Jesus and being saved. So this is like the situation where when I was a teenager um, in one of the really big music venues in Manchester, I uh, took my friend Adrian along to this big evangelistic event. Probably 2,000 people there. And it was electric. It was great music, uh, great skits, a really clear, engaging um, presentation of the gospel. And I was really hopeful for Adrian. So then there was a time of, of prayer response, and I really hoped Adrian was there. And I just snuck a peek, and Adrian's sitting there having a fag. He might as well have been sat at a bus stop. Satan had taken away the word from his heart. And we still hear Satan's lives, trying to take lies, trying to take the word away from us, don't we? Now, this, this doesn't apply to you. This bit's too hard for you to understand. You don't need to read the Bible today. All lies. The word is for you, and God can keep transforming you with it. So the next group, verse 13. Those on rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy. And when they hear it, well, sorry, receive the word with joy when they hear it. But they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. So this is the kind of hearing of the word that says, sure, I'll, I'll follow Jesus, isn't he great? Just, just so long as he benefits me. It's where people say, Jesus rocks but only until following him rocks their world. So how do we grow roots then? How do we make sure that we don't fall away? Well, feelings change, but God's exceeding great and precious promises last forever. So get to know them. Rely on God's promises, not your feelings. So when you know um, that all that the Father gives to Jesus will come to him, you won't be afraid of falling away. When you know that if you confess your sins, God is faithful and forgives our sins, you don't need to be crippled by guilt and try to work your way back to God. When you know uh, from Psalm 32, God promises to teach and counsel you to keep his loving eyes on you, you know that you don't have to go it alone. And you'll put down roots where you spend your time and energy. So, so where you can be found. So be found reading the Bible and praying every day. Be found hanging out with other Christians regularly so you can help each other bear the burden. And don't just talk about the weather. Talk about things of God. Uh, organize Saturday so that it helps to make sure you're here on Sunday ready, ready to hear the word of God. And let it take root in you. But just because we've heard the word of God, it doesn't mean that all the other noise is going to stop. It's all, all the other noise is going to be of life is always going to be competing for your attention. And for some, that will stop them being fruitful, stop them maturing. Verse 14. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures. 
and they do not mature. Uh, we all have worries. We all um, have things that we find pleasurable, and that's normal human experience. But Jesus warns that even those of us who have heard and received Jesus' words can end up choked by these worries and pleasures. So as John and Gita left recently, it was, it was great to reflect on their time at the bay and to see some old faces come along. And as I look around now, um, this is a largely different crowd to when I first started coming along nine years ago. Now, many have left for good reasons. Some have moved overseas or gone into state or gone to other churches. But not all of them. Some have fallen away. Distracted by worries. Distracted by a career or a relationship or even by hobbies. So we must keep examining ourselves. Asking ourselves, is there something in my life that's taking priority over Jesus and stunting my growth in him? And if there is, it's time to pull it out. So how do we make sure we're the good soil? How do we ensure the word of God bears fruit in us? Well, we hang on to it, accept it by faith, and persevere in it. Hang on to it, accept it by faith, and persevere in it. So verse 15, the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, producing a crop. So uh, I was out with Jeff on his boat when we were on holiday, and as it gets faster and the waves get a bit choppier, and I'm hanging on to this rope, what do I do with this rope? I hang on a bit tighter to it. All right. If it gets really choppy, I'll hang on to Jeff. <laughs> but you hang on tighter to the rope as you're buffeted by the waves so that you retain it. So the ones who are fruitful, who are those, then rather than being driven away from the word by the worries of life or by persecution, opposition to Jesus, are driven to hang on to the word of God instead. So develop that hanging onto the word reflex for when you're under pressure. Turn into the life-giving, comfort-giving words of truth in the Bible. So to our final point, the results of the word. The word. So you're back in 15, those with a noble and good heart. It's like a double positive heart. The trouble is, who wants to put the hand up and say, yeah, that's me. I've got a noble and good heart. I think most of us will say there's good things about our heart, but do we want to put our hands up and say, yeah, I have a good and noble heart? Not many of us would guess. But Jesus promises, verse 18, whoever has will be given more. So if in your heart you are like the woman that we met last week, the woman who's, she'd lived a sinful life, but if in your heart you like her, on your knees before Jesus in gratitude for him paying your debt and giving you peace with God, you will be given more. 
if that knowledge of the kingdom of God has been given to you, as in the disciples in verse 10, if that's been given to you, then even more of it will come to you. And so like that sinful woman last week, it will keep transforming you, helping make your heart noble and good, helping you to persevere, helping you not to get choked. And more than that, we'll become so close to Jesus that we're considered by him to be as close as his immediate family. So verse 19. Now Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him, for they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. He replied, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word. And put it into practice. So what does that mean, putting it into practice? So does that mean we come to Jesus, have our sins forgiven, a clean slate, and then the Christian life is just trying to try harder to not run up quite so much debt? No, it's not that, because that's still putting faith in yourself. Putting Jesus' words into practice means transferring your trust from trusting ourselves to trusting Jesus, resting in him. And Jesus says doing that means we're adopted into his, into his royal family. We're given a noble and good heart by faith transformed in, in every part of our mind, our heart and lives by believing the gospel uh, more and more deeply as life goes on. So it's put like this by the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1. It's on the screen, I think. Yeah. Uh, he says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So because Jesus makes us right with God, we no longer have to do anything to save ourselves. We're considered part of his family, insiders in God's household. So then we've got a better, more joyful motivation to live as Jesus' disciples. The motivation of glorifying God for his sake, not for our own sake. Glorifying God for his sake, not for our own sake. So to conclude, let's sum up how we might rightly respond to Jesus' offer of salvation. So first, partner in proclaiming. Uh, let's be like Susanna and Chuzza's Mrs. Joe and the rest of them, partnering and proclaiming the good news about Jesus far and wide, leaving it to God to decide who will receive it with a good and noble heart, trusting God to grow his kingdom through that proclaiming of his word. Uh, secondly, listen very carefully. So don't miss the memo. This is it. In Jesus, God's plan for the whole world is revealed. The cat's out of the bag, so be very careful to hear Jesus' message of salvation.
Thirdly, hang on. Hang on to the word. Guard against falling away and instead be fruitful by making sure that even if it means everything else misses out on your full attention, you hang on to, rely on, trust, believe, and obey God's word. And finally, transfer your trust. Put God's word into practice by transferring your trust from trusting yourself to trusting Jesus. And be assured that if we do, Jesus declares us his brothers and his sisters. Amen. We've got a chance now to respond to that um, with communion. Let me just... Do you want to have a stand up and sit down again just to have a wriggle? It's hot. Okay, let's come back together. You can sit again. So we're going to take, uh, share some bread and juice um, to remember Jesus' death and resurrection for us um, as a kind of statement of belief. Um, a good thing to do before we do all that, though, is to confess our sins to God. And there's some words on the screen that we can pray together to help us do that. Let's pray. O Lord our God, you know us better than we know ourselves. Search us, O God, and know our hearts and troubled thoughts. Convict us of our idolatrous loyalties and false worship. As we come before you now, believers and doubters alike, we all share a deep need, for we are all lost without your grace. Give us true repentance. Forgive us for ignoring your word and our disobedience. Transform us by your spirit to live for your glory and honor, to learn to love and serve each other, and through the grace of Jesus Christ our Lord, to come at last to heaven. Amen. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So communion, sharing this bread and juice, is a way of remembering and celebrating and proclaiming Jesus' death for us, which makes us right with God. Um, if, you're, if you're calling yourself a Christian today, consider Jesus to be uh, your saviour. Please join in. If that's not where you're up to... Uh, just pass, pass the bread and juice along. No drowns. Uh, what will happen is the um, bread and the juice will be passed out. Just hang on to it and then we'll all take it together. Okay. We thank you, Father, that on the night before Jesus died, he took bread 
And when he had given you thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After the meal, he took the cup and again, giving you thanks, he gave it to his disciples, saying, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Together. Therefore, Father, we thank you for these gifts of bread and wine and pray that we who eat and drink them, believing our Saviour's word, may share in eternal life. Amen. We eat the bread and drink the cup of the Lord to proclaim our fellowship in his death. We do this until he returns. Come, Lord Jesus, come. So the music is going to play as the bread and juice is distributed. So as I say, take one piece and hold your cup and we'll take them together. <laughs> 